Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is The Guardian. Welcome to Weekend, a podcast that helps you switch off from your busy day today and find entertainment and inspiration in the best Guardian and Observer writing from the week. You can either listen to this as one podcast or play each article as individual listens. Just scroll down the description on the podcast page for the timings of what we are featuring. Coming up, Marina Hyde recoils at Matt Hancock's latest cringeworthy attempt to boost his brand. Writer Joel Snape asks whether we should worry about snacking. And journalist Simon Hattonstone sits down with author Jacqueline Wilson to discuss rivalry, censorship, and love. Before we begin, just a warning there's a bit of bad language in this episode. Now, Watch the TikTok Barbie video and see Matt Hancock crafting a celebrity brand. That focus during the pandemic would have been nice, points out Marina Hyde. Read by Laura Shavin. What does Matt Hancock want from us? The question arises once more after a video is posted to the former health secretary's TikTok account. Behold, Matt emoting down a beach at sunset, miming passionately along, a fraction behind the beat of I'm Just Ken, Ryan Gosling's uber-beater big number from the Barbie movie. We live in a polarised world, so your reaction to this will be either, oh, new CIA torture track just dropped, or, oh, there goes the world's most adorable and vanity-free dad, just larking around in linen leisure where his girlfriend has assured him is such an improvement. Matt's job is beach, and he absolutely smashes it. Technically, of course, Matt has a side hustle as a Member of Parliament for West Suffolk. But we already know the ill-fated Matt Hancock MP doll is set to be discontinued next election. An event which often feels quite far away, but which, given it could precipitate a sharp increase in Matt churning out this type of stuff, is arguably bearing down on us much too soon. Anyway, it was shortly after last November's appearance on I'm a Celebrity, a three-week, £320,000 gig undertaken solely to raise awareness of dyslexia, that Hancock's spokesperson sniffed. Matt has had lots of offers from agents wanting to represent him, but he's turned them all down as he doesn't want or need an agent. He wants or needs something, however, and at some level his decision to attach himself to the Barbie movie feels 
an inevitability. Hancock has long served as a sort of coat hanger aerial, occasionally picking up broken snatches of the discourse and frantically repurposing them into content that would once have sat in deserved obscurity on the Matt Hancock app, but which now reach out into the cringosphere to ends unknown. Maybe Ken's searing power ballad just speaks to him. Consider, after all, Hancock's own belief that he would be a ten anywhere but Westminster, a drab locale, which remained stubbornly resistant to his transparent belief that he was born to occupy the Downing Street Dreamhouse. Furthermore, it is a song about being stuck in the friend zone with Barbie. And Matt was famously stuck in the friend zone with his university crush, Gina Colodangelo, for more than two decades, before finally ascending dramatically to the next level during the pandemic. It's still unclear if the sparks flew after Matt and Gina were brought together by the animal magnetism of the health department's calamitous readiness approach, or just the sheer exhilaration of waving Tory donors in his WhatsApp contacts into the Covid contracts VIP lane. But, let's face it, any of these would make incredible plotlines for future Barbie spin-offs, as Mattel seeks to build out a multi-billion dollar franchise universe in which we can all feel invested. For now, the question of where precisely Hancock thinks he's headed is a tantalising one. He bestrides the world of multi-hyphenates like a colossus. Some days he's a crypto shill, others a reality TV dependable. Following the I'm a Celeb appearance, Matt's next run-out will be on Celebrity SAS Who Dares Wins, due to be screened later this year. The show's chief instructor has offered something of a teaser of what to expect from Hancock's stint. We treat everybody the same and we really went at him, as Billy Billingham recently remarked. You might think that he'd be a cunt, but for most of the time he wasn't. But if anyone shows any attitude, they get it. And when he tried it, he got fucking smashed. In the interrogation bit, he gets destroyed, absolutely destroyed. At the time I thought, oh, hang on, maybe this is a bit much. But no, he deserved it. As for what else he deserves, Hancock's own view seems to be that an ongoing career in the public eye is at least part of the answer. Admittedly, agent or not, an evolution into telepersonality feels like quite a tall order given his public appearances are currently divided between the beach and the Covid inquiry room. Can you think of any other on-screen talent who has sought to make it as a light entertainment star while a full-scale public probe into their role in the handling-mishandling of a deadly pandemic ran literally concurrently? Either way, the constant appearance of personal growth is the brand element Matt is most keen to push. I messed up and I fessed up, ran one prepared line on I'm a Celebrity as he discussed breaking his own Covid rules. And yet, do recall that Hancock announced he only felt able to take the jungle gig because he judged, after the turmoil of the trust premiership, the government is stable. What a very telling piece of self-regard, miscalculated perhaps, but calculated all the same. As are all his little bits of fun, the overwhelming message of Matt Hancock's TikToks and deliberate telehumiliations is surely that this guy, this absolute good sport, could not possibly be the sort of person who'd be capable of negligence. This is not the sort of person whose department could be described by Dominic Cummings as a smoking ruin in the crucial early weeks of the pandemic. This isn't the kind of man who'd boast about throwing a protective ring around care homes that were in fact left to their fate. 
No, this dear old Ken could not be capable of any of those things, let alone liable for them. Even when Matt is not taking himself seriously, you see, he is actually taking himself very seriously indeed. That was Is This a Star on the Rise? Just Ken or Just Matt Hancock? Ask the families who lost loved ones during COVID by Marina Hyde. Read by Laura Shavin. Next, will eating between meals encourage you to put on weight or keep you lean? And is there such a thing as a healthy snack? Here's what science says, according to Joel Snape. Read by William Vanderpoy. In terms of diet, humans can best be described as omnivorous opportunists. We don't have the multi-chambered stomachs that help herbivores subsist on grass. But we have more molars than the average carnivore. Maybe it is no surprise then that we love to snack. We don't need to graze, but neither are we into eating a whole gazelle then sleeping for 20 hours. The trouble is that things have moved on since we were grabbing a handful of berries here and an unwary rabbit there. These days... We are rarely more than a minute away from a couple of custard creams or a banana. Is our inbuilt inclination to snack doing us irreparable damage? Or do all those calories even out in the end? And if you work in an office full of feeders, what is your best course of action? Martin MacDonald, a clinical nutritionist and the founder of Mac Nutrition Uni, says the biggest potential downside of snacking is that the foods people most commonly choose are not those that promote good health. That means that regular snacking on top of meals can easily lead to overconsumption of calories and unhealthy fat gain. That is the simple answer. But if you are sticking rigorously to healthy foods or your recommended daily calorie allowance, does it matter when you eat them? Does eating smaller main meals and a few snacks, for instance, keep your metabolism more fired up than eating an entire roast chicken and then going for a lie down. There's a train of thought that comes from a lot of observational research that eating smaller meals or snacks more frequently is better for our health, says MacDonald. This just isn't the case, however. We have a significant amount of evidence from controlled trials that contradict the observational studies. It is true, for instance, that your metabolism increases after you eat because of what is known as the thermic effect of food, the energy it takes for your body to digest, absorb and metabolise it. But this doesn't mean frequent snacking will keep you lean. Eat small meals often and your metabolism will increase by small amounts after each one. But feast once or twice a day and it will go into high gear after each meal, meaning that the effect balances out overall. On the flip side, there is no evidence to suggest that eating frequently is bad for health in and of itself. I've heard claims made about the body needing a rest between meals, says MacDonald. But this only becomes an issue when an individual is over-consuming. A good way to help understand this is by thinking of the body as a bucket with a hole in it. When we eat a large meal, it's like putting a big ice cube in the bucket. The period after it melts and the water trickles out is called the post-absorbative state. 
If you eat smaller meals more often, the smaller cubes melt and leave the bucket faster. But you'll also be going back to the digestive state sooner because you're eating more frequently. One caveat here is that there is some research suggesting that leaving a decent gap between your last feed in the evening and your first one the next day may have beneficial effects on blood pressure and insulin sensitivity. More research is needed, but if you are going to cut out snacks at any time of day, the late night ones are probably the place to start. Something else to bear in mind is that when people eat less often during the day, they tend to consume fewer calories, even if they aren't counting them. But what if you're an unrepentant snacker, either because it is tough to make time for bigger meals or because you need the occasional pick-me-up? It does seem that people can train themselves to snack less simply through practice, says MacDonald. This is probably possible for a number of reasons, such as our gut appetite hormones making us hungry at our usual eating times. But it's only really necessary if you are unable to eat good snacks. If you can plan ahead and make sure you have access to whole unprocessed foods, there's nothing wrong with snacking. Mix nuts and whole fruit or Greek yogurt with berries are two very good options, says MacDonald. The latter is probably better if you would like to lose or maintain weight more easily. There are often claims that snacking on nuts will lead to fat gain due to their energy content, but that's not supported by the research, and nuts contain a diverse range of nutrients that are beneficial for health. Opting for the whole fruit is probably better than dried fruits or juices, as it's less easy to over-consume calories. This all takes a bit of effort, of course, but that is part of the point. When snacking is not as simple as just grabbing a Mars bar, you will probably start to wonder whether you need to do it quite so often. That was Should I Worry About Snacking by Joel Snape Read by William Vanderpoy We'll be back after this short break. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay authenticity guarantee and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head turning handbag, a watch that says it all jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Welcome back to Weekend. Finally, raised by a scary father and a terrible snob of a mother, the Tracy Beaker author Jacqueline Wilson 
has always understood the loneliness that marks so many young lives. But at 77, she tells Simon Hattonstone, she's never been happier. Read by Laura Shaven. The intimidating front door could belong to a Gothic castle. I half expect it to be opened by a giant butler called Lurch with a forbidding you rang. Instead, Jacqueline Wilson, aged 77 and slight as a pipe cleaner, answers with a smile warm enough to heat her huge home. She leads us into the living room, and before we know it, there are drinks, donuts, and chocolate biscuits in front of us. I'm here with my younger daughter, Maya. There was no way Maya was missing this. She is one of many young people whose lives were transformed by Wilson. Maya was a late reader. Then she discovered Wilson's novels about kids struggling to find their place in the world and was hooked. That was in the early noughties, around the time Wilson published Sleepovers, one of her most popular novels. Twenty-two years on, she's finally written a follow-up, the best sleepover in the world. Wilson had considered Sleepovers one of her minor works. It's a short book for readers aged seven and over. But the more she asked fans which of her books were their favourites, the more she realised how popular it was. Wilson has written well over 100 books, sold about 40 million copies in the UK alone, been translated into 34 languages, and was for years the most borrowed author from British libraries. Sleepovers is one of her five best best-selling books, and she believes there are two reasons. First, so many children love sleepovers, and second, it's about something at the heart of young and older lives, friendship and friendship betrayed. Children not having a best friend or losing their best friend is a really serious thing, she says. Parents often take the attitude, don't worry, you'll get in another group soon, but the agony of going around the playground by yourself is awful. I also wanted to show you're not alone if that happens to you. There's nothing wrong with you, it's just the way life works out. It's why Wilson's books resonate with so many young people, especially girls. She understands how they feel, how tough it can be to grow up. Early on, her books were dismissed as being about and for outsiders. What Wilson understood from the off is that lots of us think of ourselves as outsiders. So much has changed since the largely analogue days of sleepovers, not just in terms of technology, but attitudes. In the first book, Lily, the non-verbal, wheelchair-using sister of the narrator Daisy, is largely passive. In the new book, Lily is the hero. Sassy, communicative, she communicates using the sign language Makaton with a super cool disabled best friend. The girls are the same age, but the setting is bang up to date. Now when the snotty bully Chloe is desperate to show off in front of her peer group, she does so by boasting that a TikTok influencer will be coming to her sleepover. It turns out the author has strong views on TikTok and the digital world in general. Wilson's life has also changed dramatically since Sleepovers was published. She's been awarded an OBE, been made a dame, has served as children's laureate, suffered heart failure and had a kidney replacement. Back in 2001, she had recently separated from her husband of 30 years and was single. For the past 21 years, she's been in a relationship with her civil partner Trish, who is here today. Seven years ago, they upped sticks and moved from Kingston-upon-Thames in southwest London to the Sussex countryside. A lot of friends thought I would hate it and would want to come back immediately, Wilson says. 
What's so lovely now is that we've made more best friends here than we've ever had, she says. She adds that she's never been so happy. You're not the townie that people thought you were, are you? Trish says lovingly. This rural idyll is a far cry from her childhood. She grew up on a council estate in Kingston, the only child of parents in a loveless relationship. Her mother was a terrible snob who insisted that theirs was a better class of council estate and that she'd only ended up with Wilson's father because all the good men were away fighting in the war. Meanwhile, he had a terrible temper. He'd give you the silent treatment for weeks. It was quite scary. I think they were both very unhappy people. Wilson says she was a disappointment to her mother. My mum would have loved Shirley Temple as a daughter, full of confidence, tap-dancing all over the place in flouncy clothes and showing off. And what did she get? A girl sitting there reading a book, looking gormless. Her mother chose Wilson's clothes till she left home and refused to let her wear jewellery. She points to the huge rose quartz ring on her finger, marking her civil partnership with Trish, and grins. I mean, isn't it pathetic when even in your 70s you wear things that a psychiatrist would point out is rebelling against your mother? You only need to listen to Wilson for a few minutes to understand how much her childhood has shaped her stories. So many of her characters are misunderstood, disadvantaged and vulnerable, despite a tough veneer. Tracy Beaker is a classic example. She has a feckless mother, lives in care and is desperate for love. Yet on the outside, she's a toughie who bloodies the noses of those who disrespect her and tells us repeatedly that she never cries, though she does admit to getting severe hay fever when upset. I didn't have as harrowing a childhood as some of the characters in my books, Wilson says. But it was no picnic. Books were Wilson's escape. First reading them, then writing them. She wrote a 21-page novel, Meet the Maggots, at nine a rambly, full-length novel at 15, sent her first to a publisher at 19, not quite for us, but we liked the characterization. they replied, and had her first book, Ricky's Birthday, published at 23. By then, she'd already had a full life, leaving home at 17 to write for the girls' magazine Jackie in Dundee, marrying at 19, another dysfunctional relationship, and having her wonderful daughter Emma, a professor at Cambridge University at 21. Her books went largely unnoticed for many years. One editor told her, Remember, Jacqueline, people don't like reading about little people. She made a decent living writing true-life stories for confession magazines, but she never expected to live in the luxury she does now. The living room and hall are crammed with all sorts, artworks galore, ceramics, rubber toys, for her two dogs Molly and Jackson, a telescope, a rocking horse, and on it goes. Dominating the living room is a huge, immaculately ordered bookshelf. There are children's books, adult books, first editions wrapped in protective plastic, autographed books, research books on the dietary habits of foundlings. Even the table in front of me turns out to be a book. Underneath the glass top are the loose pages from an ancient copy of Jane Eyre that has fallen to bits. Who's more into books? I ask. Both of us, Wilson replies. I'm more extravagant. Since we've moved here, Trish has bought more nature books. Mainly books on meadows, Trish says. Not so many novels these days. How many books do you own between you? I'm really hopeless about numbers, Wilson says. 40,000, Trish replies instantly. 
No, not as many as that, Wilson says. Well, it was 35,000 many years ago, Trish says. I would say 15,000, Wilson says. It's a rare disagreement. Wilson and Trish met through books. Trish was a bookshop manager who hosted talks with authors. I asked her if she'd like to do an event with me. This was in the days when I was doing lots of signings. Terry Pratchett, who was quite picky, said, Have you done one with Trish? She's really good. Trish had met me, but blow me, she'd never asked me to do an event, so I thought, I'll be bold and ask her. And we got on really well together. We didn't get together immediately, Trish says. But it didn't take long. Wilson, who had never previously had a relationship with a woman, says Trish brought out her competitive streak. I asked her about earlier girlfriends, and she said she'd never had a year-after-year relationship. And I thought, right, I'm going to be that. And I have been so far. Wilson's success as an author came in her late 40s. It surprised some of those she worked with as much as her. I heard somebody who worked closely with me say, Fancy little Jackie being so successful. And I don't think she was referring to my height. I think that was a reference to my background and my demeanour. She remembers looking at the bestseller list and discovering she was number seven. That also brought out her competitive nature, she says. You wanted to be number one? Yes, I did, she admits, slightly shamefaced. But a certain J.K. Rowling came along, and you're never going to beat that. And there's always been one or two others much better than me. Better or bigger? Bigger, she laughs. (laughs) Occasionally better. This was a golden age for children's literature. Rowling and Wilson endowed so many kids with a love of fiction. Although independent bookshops have recently announced an upturn, according to the Booksellers Association, Wilson worries about the reading habits of the young. Children's books are often to do with something on TikTok, like The Wonky Donkey and Greg the Sausage Roll. I'm not knocking these things, but they're not quite where the wild things are. Many bookshops now feature selections based on BookTok, a sub-community of TikTok. What's missing some of the time is books that require stamina to read. I loved books that kept you going, and if you didn't understand a word, you just learned to get the gist of it and carry on, and if it was vital, you looked it up. Now there's a tendency to make children's books so easy to read that it makes it hard to imagine most children would go on to read complex, wonderful literary novels as they get older. There are a lot of books kids like now because you can read them in an hour. Not everything is being dumbed down. I'm a huge fan of Catherine Rundell, who is one of the most exciting children's writers ever. But I do think texts nowadays do tend to be not quite as subtle as they used to be, and plots are not quite as complex. When you look at children's classics like Little Women and Treasure Island, it would be odd to find a seven- or eight-year-old reading them happily now. I didn't come from a posh background, but lots of kids were reading these books in junior school without thinking about it. What has changed? The digital age, mostly. It's frightening how, when travelling or sitting in child-friendly cafes, if a little kid is being fretful or difficult, the tablet is put in front of their face and then they're watching something. Wilson says there's a big difference between reading and watching. You have to use your brain more when reading. I don't think parents automatically read aloud to their children now. I know everyone leads very busy lives, but reading aloud to your children when they're little is one of the best bits of being a parent. You cosy up together, share the magic of the story, and it could be a memory that lasts forever for your child. Is she worried about the increasing censorship of children's books? 
A report from the writers' organization PEN America said book bans in U.S. public schools increased by 28% in the first half of the 2022-23 academic year. Of the 1,477 books banned, 30% were about race, racism, or include characters of color, while 26% had LGBTQ plus characters or themes. Research carried out by the Chartered Institute of Library and Information Professionals in the UK this year found that a third of librarians had been asked by members of the public to censor or remove books with the most targeted books involving empire, race and LGBTQ plus themes. This is a huge worry, Wilson says. We're not America, but we do follow American trends and this is becoming scary. Intolerance terrifies her. One of the worst things is there's no reason debate. It's black or it's white. The inevitable result is cancel culture, she says. People are getting cancelled in cruel and horrible ways. I don't like the idea of anybody being cancelled because we live in a country where we've always taken pride in free speech. But, she says, censorship is a complex issue. For example, books by Roald Dahl and Enid Blyton have been updated to remove inappropriate and dated language. Publishers do have a social conscience. Life has changed. She's happy with this, so long as original versions are still available for those who want to read them. Last year, Wilson wrote The Magic Far Away Tree, inspired by the Blyton original. She kept true to the tone of the original, but stamped out Blyton's sexist stereotypes. Wilson admits one of her own books troubles her today. In 2005, she wrote Love Lessons, about 14-year-old Prue falling in love with an art teacher who partly reciprocates. They kiss, and he admits he loves her too. Would she write the book today? No. It's so different now. She pauses. Well, I did have my doubts then. Nowadays, I say, you'd see Prue as a victim even if she'd initiated it, and the teacher as a paedophile because he responded to her. Yes, that's very true, and it does change things around so much. It's 15 years now since Wilson suffered heart failure, nine since she was on dialysis and had a kidney replacement. I sat for months in dialysis with Jackie, Trish says. It was a terrifying time, terrifying. She could not give Wilson her kidney because their blood types weren't compatible, the only way they do seem incompatible. They joined a scheme for people with a failing kidney and a partner with a healthy one to match other couples in the same situation. Trish gave her kidney to someone in need, while the recipient's partner donated to Wilson. As for Wilson's heart, she's had a defibrillator fitted. I'm not going to expose myself, but it looks like I've swallowed an iPad, she giggles. Oh, no, not an iPad, an iPod. If my heart stops, hopefully it gives me a powerful kick like a donkey. She doesn't write as many words a day as she used to, but she's still knocking out a minimum of 1,000. First thing in the morning... Then, in the later afternoon, over a glass of wine while Trish is cooking. We've been talking for four hours. Wilson and Trish have been fabulous hosts. We're standing in front of the epic bookshelf. I treasure books so much, Wilson says. As someone who left school at 16 and never went to university, I am in awe of great literature. I pull out a Carson McCullers and panic when I realise it's a special edition. Anybody I've really loved, I get a really special edition. That's my huge, huge treat, Wilson says. What's the most you've spent? Far too much. 
Am I going to say that in front of Trish? No. That's not for public consumption, Trish says fiercely. Wilson finds it funny. There are some booksellers who say my name with such happiness, she says. On the way out, I brush past a smiley painting of Wilson. She doesn't like it and shows me a copy of one she prefers. I love this because I look like a serious person. Trish didn't care for it because I look quite stern. She looks at it. I'm not little Jackie there, am I? She says. Then she pauses and laughs. Oh, but look, he still chose to have the rocking horse in the background. That was I Wanted to Be Number One. But a certain J.K. Rowling came along. Jacqueline Wilson on Rivalry, Censorship and Love by Simon Hattonstone. Read by Laura Shaven. That's all from us. This has been Weekend, a Guardian podcast. If you're enjoying it, please make sure to like, subscribe to and rate the podcast. Maybe even leave us a nice review. Just search for Weekend wherever you get your podcasts. This week's articles are read by Laura Shavin and William Vanderpoy and presented by me, Savannah Ayode-Greaves. This episode was produced by Rachel Porter. The executive producer was Ellie Bury. Join us again next Saturday. Thanks for listening. This is The Guardian. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay authenticity guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay authenticity guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.